clarity. So like, I like this decentralized command because this idea was, I'm gonna give you principles, I'm gonna make sure you understand the mission, and I'm gonna give you some SOPs, right? We never got that. We were sort of given a blank check, which at first sounds great, except for the fact that we just started wreaking havoc on the organization because we just went looking for stuff to innovate, right? Which was terrible, right? So it wasn't actually decentralized command, it was complete chaos, which is sort of the extreme of what happens when you don't provide the structure they talked about. Good day. Welcome to the Consultant of the Coach podcast. I'm here with my good friend, Josh. How are you, man? Doing great. Ready for another one here. Let's own this, man. Absolutely. Part two of Extreme Ownership Business Application. So last week, we went over the book review. Real fast overview. Hopefully, we inspired everyone. If you haven't already listened to the book, read the book, gone through the book with your team, do that first. But this is now we're going to jump into business application from a, a consulting perspective, from a coaching perspective, even as I've led my organization and we've consulted, you know, what that looks like. But what devotion do you have for us today? Sure. So again, thinking about the extreme ownership and, and really it's about more about the mindset than the, than the actual like decision authority, right? Because we talked about that last time. And so thinking about mindset and thinking about those who, who share our faith, you know, we think carefully about mindset, really, if you look at scripture, in particular, uh, Philippians 2, uh, 5 through 11, which is a bit of a longer passage, but I think it's important to get this idea of mindset home. Um, but it aligns very well, I think, with extreme ownership, even if that's written from um, just a non-faith perspective. Um, but Philippians 2, 5 says, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death on a cross. For this reason, God ex- highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that as the, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And this is really, what again, what extreme ownership is all about, is completely relinquishing your own ego, completely relinquishing your own agenda, completely relinquishing um, your excuses, right? mm-hmm. taking on accountability, taking on, you know, and so Jesus gives us the ultimate example of extreme ownership. Obviously, we're never going to get close to that, um, but it certainly gives us a guideline or a guiding star here mm-hmm. to think about. And, and off camera, we were talking, we're like, well, are they Christians or this? And we're like, we don't know. Mm-hmm. But what we I can tell you is... I'm a believing Christian, and what they say, for the most part, completely coincides with Scripture about owning our, you know, owning what we can own, and taking, you know, it's it's spot on. Yeah, and well, and, and not to divert too far down that road, but I heard a really interesting sermon on this earlier this year. Is is many times in the world, even from people who are not um, Christians or do not share faith, they there are these echoes. Of faith, so we shouldn't be Absolutely. surprised when we see these echoes. And the reason that those echoes exist is because we believe that every person, regardless of whether they have made a profession of faith in Christ or not, has what we would call the imago dei or the mm-hmm. image of God placed in them Absolutely. to some degree. Now it's 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 tainted by sin, and we're all struggling with that, and that's not something we can get out of. But you know, I think we sh- we aren't shouldn't be surprised when there's these what I would call extreme ownership. The book has some echoes of faith. Because even if the people who wrote it or the, the, the even the, the methodology it's rooted in, you know, beyond even the, the writers to the Navy SEALs, these things are possible because of the fact that there is still that, albeit tainted, 
image of God in all of us that, that gives us the ability to be extremely compassionate, right? You see these heroic efforts, right? The people who lay down their life for other people and people, mm-hmm. these things are possible in humanity because of who God made us to be. So it's a good thing. Um, but I think the good news is then Jesus gives us like the perfect example of these things, right? So we take the echoes and we say, oh, what's this mean? To, oh, now we see who Jesus is. Okay, we understand him a little better now, um, which can be really neat. Absolutely. Now, one of the things, you know, so the book starts looking at ourselves as leaders. And it was a number of years ago, it was about 10 years ago, I was I was considering leaving my current uh, job as a CEO because I was just frustrated with my team. They were just blowing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was meeting with my my counselor, and he's just an amazing, great old dude. But he kind of moved towards coaching in the middle of one of my counseling sessions with him. He goes, well, Eric, if you want to leave, that's fine. Tell me about your perfect job. So I start lying out. This is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I want to be able to make my own schedule. I want to be able to just thoroughly... Uh, design how to make an organization better. I want to be able to do, you know, I, I, I listed out about seven things. This is my perfect job. And he looks at me. He's like, do you not have all that right now? Are you not CEO? I'm like, well, I have all that. And it was this huge light bulb that went off. And I thought of extreme ownership. No bad teams, only bad leaders. And I was mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, crud. Yeah. I'm a bad leader. <laughs> And that's hard because to have to and this the beauty of coaching and consulting mm-hmm. you can have that private thing and you're mm-hmm. like hey dude from what you're telling me you're a really bad leader and I had to say that about myself I'm like but I was a really bad leader but yeah. it allowed me to like well well the good news is who's in charge of me well I am mm-hmm. who can own it I can mm-hmm. who can change it I can yeah. this is the great part about extreme ownership We're looking at our organizations if something's wrong. We can fix it. Yeah, yeah. There's this. Uh, it's interesting. That, that I think the first chapter reminded me of um, a client I've worked with, and they're a large integrated health system. And and because of that, you know, to the public, it's this really great managed care model. But inside, it's actually fraught with problems. And the reason for that is because it's technically two organizations. Mm-hmm. It's technically a provider-owned organization, subsidiary of some kind that's that's independent. And for lots of reasons, that has to be legally so that docs can make independent decisions. But nonetheless, you have an, basically a provider-owned for-profit entity, and you have a non-profit health system, or excuse me, um, health plan. And together, they also provide health care. Um, and I spent some time inside one of these organizations and it was really interesting to me, this, um, major problem of, uh, internal friction against these two sides to the point where there was labels for it. There was the red team and the blue team, Mm -hmm. right? Which team are you on? Right. Because there was, um, you sort of naturally, and the reason, the way they led, which was supposed to be functional, but became very dysfunctional, was they had dyad leadership relationships. And just like I think marriage is supposed to be loving and, and mutually life-giving and, and wonderful, um, these dyad relationships were also meant to be, you know, basically a marriage of a leader over the same sort of areas together, working together with their joint teams. And and I can't tell you, they were toxic, toxic relationships where these leaders would just sort of get along in the rooms but then go back to talk to their main lieutenants and just rag on each other i mean it was a mess and um i think one of the one more proud moments i had in my career actually around this idea of extreme ownership was 
I came in on one side of it. Obviously, you have to get employed on one half or the other. There's, there's no in between. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just didn't care. Like, I just didn't care, right? And I just started leaning in to get stuff done because there were so many problems to solve and so many people. And, you know, <clears throat> luckily I had a pretty wide latitude. And it was to the point where I got this thing done, I got that thing done, I got this thing done. And I had someone come to me and they said, um, they said, hey, could you help me with this thing? Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I, I can. But you realize I work, because this person worked for the other part of the organization. Mm-hmm. I didn't work The other for, half. Right, the other half. And this was squarely in that camp. Like the, the thing they were asking me to do was like squarely in, like, and that would get me sort of treacherous if I started like really dabbling in that sort of thing. Um, again, back to people not always being receptive to extreme ownership <laughs> on the last podcast. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I work for, uh, at the time I worked for the medical group half, um, you know, I work for the medical group. And they're like, oh yeah, I forgot. Like that was a compliment. What a right? compliment. Because I had sort of found this way to find this middle ground, you know, contrary to the example in chapter one about the VP who couldn't get his plan to work. I had mm-hmm. just said, forget it. I don't care who you work for. If you can help me get the work done that takes care of our patients and ultimately helps the organization achieve its mission, let's just do it, right? And and that's a perfect business example of checking the ego because yeah. you said, I didn't care. Yeah. You wanted to see the ball move forward. And this is you know what I love about football or you name it. Yeah. You just want to move the ball forward. You want to score touchdowns. It's about the team and it's about scoring. You did not care. Not that you didn't care. You didn't care how it went forward. You wanted to see it. And that's where, you know, in the first half of the book, there's a chapter, check your ego. Mm -hmm. Because if it's about we, as we talked about last week, Mm -hmm. that's a good thing. If it's all about me, I, that is warning signs mm-hmm. to the nth degree. Yep. And I had a problem a couple of years ago, and actually you you helped me. That I was calling. I had a problem with a leader in my organization. I'm like, Josh, I'm running into this problem. And this is what this leader is doing is a C-suite executive. And it was I, 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 I. And you're like, no, it's about we. This is about extreme ownership checking mm-hmm. the ego. Mm-hmm. And you're like, it's got to be we. So I sat down with this executive. I said it's about we. Oh, and you said not you, but the person was using the word I a lot, right? Didn't you yeah, say that? Yeah, the person yeah, yeah, yeah. was using the term yeah. I a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I, I sat now. down with this executive. I'm like, hey, it's about we. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I did it. I deserve the credit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you don't understand. It's about the organization. Mm-hmm. It's about the team. Mm-hmm. And I kept pushing and pushing and mm-hmm. pu- pushing. And actually, what happened was. This person was not willing to check their ego mm-hmm. and actually led to their downfall, right. which was just a shame because all they had to do, can, can you please change your pronoun? Yeah. Is, and it wasn't like the yeah. weird kind of pronoun. It was from <laughs> I to yeah. we. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what I was saying. And they could not make that shift. Well, and interestingly, on the flip side of that example, back to my example I gave too, is I ended up having to go ahead and just leave the organization because I got so much pressure from people fed up with how much I was getting things done. Mm-hmm. It was making other people look bad. And so therefore they preferred the status quo where there was friction because they found their value in sort of gossiping and, and sort of, um, and leveraging the friction for all mm-hmm. sorts of political things versus actually, in my opinion, what we need to do to actually move the mission forward. And I ended up, you know, effectively becoming ineffective because I know I no longer felt like I could actually do things given how much pressure people were placing on me to okay stop stop leaning into that and you're taking on too too much work and stop moving things so fast and you know you're making the rest of us look bad and you're taking like bigger pro- mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and eventually I'm like what do you want me to do like <laughs> we're here to we're here to 
change lives, right? Isn't mm-hmm. that what we're all in this for? And not everybody is. No, not everyone is about changing lives. It's just like, it's all about me. I'm like, oh, that's just not going to, yeah. it, it, might, it might allow you to tread water, but you're not going to move it forward a whole lot. Now, there's this chapter in the book, Decentralized oh, Command. Yes. Oh, yes. Give me a business example. I mean, you've been consulting with tons and tons of organizations. Find my notes when, when is a decentralized command better? Because you lost lots of time to think, okay, everything comes from right here. But mm-hmm. in the book, an entire chapter, it, it is when functioning properly, it is better to be decentralized. Yeah. Why is that the case? I can give you a great example of how it didn't work. Um, so it was interesting that the, the idea I thought of there in terms of my experience, and one time I was, we were working to stand up um, an innovation function for a health plan, which if you know anything about a health plan, that's like an oxymoron because they're mm-hmm. not terribly innovative. <laughs> and there's reasons that they have, and there's, there's sort of uh, static business reasons why that's the case. And I won't get into all the business model of, of that. It's a little boring for this, this podcast. Um, but we were part of the innovation group, but for lots of reasons sort of leading up to where we were, there was never um, real clear executive sponsorship given from the CEO's office in terms of what things to go innovate, right? Okay. So you could pick a lot of things. So there wasn't clarity. So like, I like this decentralized command because this idea was, I'm going to give you principles, I'm going to make sure you understand the mission, and I'm going to give you some SOPs, right? Mm-hmm. We never got that. We were sort of given a blank check, which at first sounds great except for the fact that we just started wreaking havoc on the organization because we just went looking for stuff to innovate, right? Which was terrible, right? So it wasn't actually decentralized command. It was complete chaos, which is sort of the extreme of what happens when you don't provide the structure they So you were about. given the check, go do something. Well, go do something. But then, so here's, here's what I realized. A couple of key insights from that. One is what innovation actually meant, and we didn't realize this because no one had said anything for two years, was the reason there was an innovation group at all was because in the RFPs, the request for proposals that the health plan was filling out for very large multinational corporations to be their health plan provider, there was the question, what are you doing innovative? So they actually didn't want us to innovate. They wanted us to have a nice answer to the question, what are you Mm -hmm. doing to innovate? And the reason I know that is because when I got called into a meeting, there were six people there to write the story of innovation, but only three of us who had actually been hired to innovate. And then I realized, ah, ding, 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 ding. Now I know this is about selling business, which is fine if that's what it's about. But don't tell, sell me this story that you actually want to innovate when really what you're trying to do is sell product, which is fine. Like, let's, let's focus like, on it, that. Call it that. Right, then. call it that. And then the other funny story about that one, um, interestingly, was because of there was no clear decentralized command, there was no guiding principles, none of this executive sponsorship that's so critically important to actually innovate. Um, we as a group, uh, again, we, um, <clears throat> in partnership with a technology provider, built an Alexa skill set to answer questions about your health plan before any people listening to this knew what an Alexa was. Mm. We had like this ready in 2014, like eight years ago. We had you, you could, you could ask Alexa before anybody was using Alexa, right? This was, Hey Alexa, what, what are, what's, can I get a primary care appointment? What's my copay for this? What's mm-hmm. my, like, we, we, had a, we built a skill to do that. We presented it to the CEO. The CEO says, that's great, go faster. But then because of the fact that it flew in the face of the incentive models for all of the VPs, mm. they all sat around the room and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Literally, I watched them walk out of the room and they actively over the next six months killed the project. Because not good decentralized command, not clarity of purpose, 
not clarity of roles, no guiding principles. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah. I got all worked up when but, I read but, that. But, but, I heard that but that's, but that's an example. Of it you've got to be all going in the right you direction. Do. Absolutely. And wh- whatever one's organization is, what's the goal? Yeah. Are you on the same team? You don't want to be pulling back and forth, back and forth. And and thinking of a business application of discipline and freedom, and I so I so mm. love this example. So if you are in your organization, think of you know who you're working for, whether or not you own your company or not, or you're working for someone else. If you know what you're doing, there is so much freedom when you're disciplined. Like mm-hmm. when I when we're talking and you're like Eric, I have a really straight. Uh, SOW, here's a statement of work. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go leave the cave and I'm going to go kill it and bring it back. You know what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. There is freedom because mm-hmm. you know what you're going to do. If someone doesn't know what that looks like, oh, yeah. they're all confused. Yeah. Now, I, I have a little bit more of a longer leash than you do because I oversee my own company. So mm-hmm. really, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's me and my brain and kind of what I'm trying to do. Whereas you're working for someone else mm-hmm. but even in a coach from a coaching perspective discipline and freedom we are accountable for what goes on in our own head mm-hmm. which is very life life giving and very freeing uh, because really who's in charge of yourself well i am mm-hmm. who's in charge of yourself you are yeah there is so much freedom there and a lot of people they don't understand what they think it's always someone else's fault no we have extreme ownership it's about us yeah well and there's this there's this higher value of discipline right there's there's a there is a benefit to discipline beyond the actual result of the task itself mm-hmm. right do you need three alarm clocks to wake up well no if you hit snooze does it really by itself cause a problem not really right and it's this idea of the discipline is a mindset that enables you to then go and pursue your goals, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's where, I mean, I've experienced that. We've talked a lot about that, this idea of discipline or steadfastness. I think we've talked about that in the podcast before. And, you know, I have seen in my my life how it's completely reshaped my ability to um, stay out of the peaks and valleys emotionally. It's allowed me to take on more work. It's actually created cognitive capacity such that I can actually take on more clients, more complexity that results in more revenue, more influence, mm-hmm. more work satisfaction, right? Better able to take care of family stuff, right? <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, it sets the table for a lot and it's, um, it's not to be over. I, I really appreciated the, the chapter. You, but it's because you've done your work. You have put the work into yourself where you understand this is where I need discipline and yeah. it's going to produce freedom over here. Uh, you were real nice this week. You, you Someone contacted you for a coaching engagement and you were like, well, I'm the consultant. So, And you forwarded me the email. But in your email, <laughs> yeah. one of the things you said, Eric, do you have room for this? And Because you, you understand with discipline. Mm-hmm. And I, of course, looked at my schedule. I'm like, yeah, actually, as of right now, I have open openings for two clients mm-hmm. in a coaching relationship. But let's say I was totally tapped out and I didn't. Yeah. It would not be disciplined if I were to take on another client and say, I have no time for you. Mm-hmm. And if I would, it'd be squeezing it in. I'd do a lousy job as a coach. If we understand where we need discipline, it does produce freedom over here. Right. Discipline equals freedom. And a lot of people, like my my 10-year-old would say, no, discipline is horrible as right, he's right, right. screaming over. He hasn't, he, he's not there yet. He's only 10. He's only 10. He's on his way. And he's going to make progress. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and kids, I mean, but that's why they're kids. They don't understand the value of discipline. 
No, and that's something you only learn over time, and depending on how soon you learn, it's usually different. But. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what, hey, next, hey, next podcast, hey, extreme ownership in our life. What does that look like? So we did a book review. Hey, we, this is what it looks like in our businesses when we coach and consult with businesses. And then what does it look like in our life? And some they, good all, they all come together. And yeah. it's absolutely beautiful, especially when you just knock it out of the park. And you're like, hey, I'm winning in my personal life. It's causing my business to win at the same Absolutely. time. Absolutely. And they go together. So that's next week, eh? Come back and see us. Hey, so between now and then, uh, whatever platform you're listening to this, please do me a favor. Just give us a quick thumbs up, five-star review, because what that does is it allows other people to find this podcast better. Hey, and if you want to reach out to us, go to theconsultantwithcoach.com, and we'd love to talk to you. But until then, next week, life application for extreme ownership. All right. Take care. Bye.